All right, and welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, it is definitely a little bit off. I had to take the camera to do some interviews and um, over the weekend for the protest that we had in Los Angeles, I took this camera and I tried to make sure everything was good. It just seems a little bit off, maybe just a smidge. <gasps> I feel like I'm too high. It's okay. <laughs> I feel like I'm too high. Every teenager back in the 2000s. Um, <clears throat> welcome back, everybody. It is Monday, July 31st, year of our Lord, 2023. Glad to be back. Glad to be back. Busy, busy weekend. As those of you who follow me already know. Wait, this is also off. There we go. This is much better. There we go. That should be... Hey, okay. <clears throat> Welcome back to everybody in the comment section. Uh, yes, the painting. That is right. So my daughter, well, it's right there. You guys can see it. She she made a painting. Um, uh, we bought her some canvases. She's really artsy. Um, and, and lately, my daughter has been like really, really involved in the kitchen. Not to make any jokes or anything like that, but uh, she loves helping my wife cook. And, and she's been baking a lot. She'll she'll write a list of supplies. She's 14 and she'll be like, can I can I go get this so I can make a cake or so I can make this or I can make that? Uh, I believe she got it for me since I was a teenager. I've always had a keen interest in cooking and baking. Um, as most of you probably know, I was a cook in the military for over a decade. Before that, I had actually gone to the Culinary uh, Institute. Um, it was called the Cordon Bleu. It was in Pasadena, California before it got shut down. I'm not sure if the Cordon Bleu cooking school got shut down everywhere but i know that the one in pasadena got shut down and believe it or not man funny story just real quickly um i was 17 when i graduated and i started cooking school the same month i graduated high school so i had everything set up and what's so funny is uh one of my biggest struggles in cooking school was the fact that uh i had braces and i also wore glasses and I was thinking to myself, and I was very insecure at the time, I don't want to be that guy in college, or in this case, cooking school, wearing glasses and braces. So I removed the glasses because I'm like, I don't want to be a dork. I'm already young, 17. I don't want others to look down on me for being very dorky. So I removed my glasses, which you can just imagine me trying to learn and read what was being put up, you know, recipe conversions, recipes, you know, all these other things. I refused to wear my glasses. So it was extremely hard for me to take notes. And I'll never forget that what I learned to do was take notes from the person next to me. That's how dumb I was back then. <laughs> I was so insecure in myself. I refused to wear glasses and braces. I refused to be that guy. I cared more about seeming cool to these college people. Because again, I was very young, so I already had like that complex there. And I told myself, I don't want to wear glasses. So I would have such a hard time. And so you can just imagine trying to write down recipes. They came out wrong. And the teacher would always tell me like, dude, why does your stuff always like it's oversalted? Or why does it seem wrong? And it's because I would never take down correct notes. And as you can imagine, when it comes to recipes, especially when baking, you need to have precise measurements. So I was very insecure back then. And um, yeah, I ended up 
dropping out of that school, I think after like three months or something like that, uh, not because I was failing or anything like that. I was actually doing really good in cooking school, uh, despite that little hiccup with the glasses. Um, I, I ended up dropping out because I was working a full-time job. At the time, I was working at Subway. I like to ca call myself a sandwich artist, right? I was making art with sandwiches over at Subway. Uh, my cousin was a manager there, so he got me the job. And the thing is, is it, it was like a weird triangle. So I ended up having to move in with my uncle, but he had no space for me. So I ended up having to sleep on the floor or on the couch. And so you can imagine my my day to day, my my cooking school was from four in the afternoon to 11 o'clock at night. So I would work in the mornings. I would work from like eight in the morning to like three ish. Then I would rush over to school. Parking there was atrocious. So you had to move your car like every hour. So you had to like ask to go to the bathroom and then you'd have to go move your car. It was just really bad because parking was so expensive. And this is, of course, a Los Angeles problem. Anyways, full-time work, full-time school, and then my sleeping was so bad because it was in apartments and I, I slept on the floor and then I would have to wash my uniforms and 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 the buildings where I was at wasn't that safe. So I didn't want to be out past a certain time. Anyway, long story short, I ended up dropping out, but then I joined the military and I became a cook there and I was a great cook, according to others, not me. I don't know. I'm just saying. Anyways, uh, with that, what's up, everyone? Welcome back. What's up, Henry? What's up, Lena? What's up, James? What's up, Ike has? What's up, Nicole? What's up, Mary? Good morning, everybody. What is going on? Um, oh, nice little turnout today. We're already at 33. Usually it takes a couple minutes uh, to get up there. Obviously, you guys know we're going to be talking about uh, some updates over the weekend protest that we had. We are declaring victory in the name of Christ. That is right, ladies and gentlemen. Then we also have something that happened also here in California. Uh, this is with the Trump uh, delegates. Uh, so this this is the California GOP essentially changed its rules for delegates. Uh, I'm going to explain it in depth for you. Some of you have asked that I could please uh, go ahead and cover that. Even if you're not in California, this is an important story for you to follow uh, because they're changing rules around a little bit. And a lot of people are saying, why is this happening uh, now? Essentially, you know, it's not winner takes all. It's just whoever has the best percentage. If they don't meet that threshold, they can break up the delegates. And in case you didn't know, California has the most delegates than any other state in the entire country. So this could change things, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Saturday, there was a DOJ attempt to arrest Hunter, uh, Hunter's former business partner, Devin Archer, just hours before he set to testify against the Biden crime family's business dealings, alleged crime. Um, and so uh, we got a lot going on there. And then lastly, we have Mr. Donald J. Trump putting out a statement here today saying, let them debate so I can see who I might consider for vice president. In case you didn't know, August 23rd is going to be uh, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, is going to be the first Republican uh, nominee's uh, presidential debate. So all the candidates that qualified, I will tell you who's qualified, who hasn't qualified, and who is set to debate. And it looks like former President Trump is going to be skipping out something that the RNC uh, chairwoman has said would be a massive mistake for Trump. But I don't know. He's polling pretty high. I'll also read you the latest post. Before we get started, let's go ahead and make sure we hit that like button. Make sure you hit that subscribe button if you are new here. And let's make sure we share this with at least two people this week. Doesn't have to be today, just this week. Mental note to yourselves. I need to share this live stream with at least two other people so that 
we are raising awareness of what is going on. Good morning, Miss Grace. How are you over on Facebook? I'm also live streaming on Twitter now, too. Um, so that'll be good. And then, of course, Wednesday, we have our evening show at six o'clock. We're going to have two good guests that were actually there uh, at the protests in Los Angeles. Um, also, a quick side note. So everyone here tuned in. Um, I have launched a new campaign. It's not a presidential campaign. It's not a congressional campaign. But I am trying to do a road to 2024, 1000 new paid subscribers. So if you guys look in the link down below, there is a Patreon, or if you're just tuning in the audio only podcast, if you guys head on over to www.patreon.com forward slash from with Anthony, I am urging you, please, from here to, the, to November 2024, to election day, I'm asking if you could please donate $10 a month. That's it. Nothing more, nothing less. Honestly, if you just donate $10, if we can get a thousand people to donate $10, we don't even need live chat subscriptions. We don't need donations. We don't need separate things. If you've never donated before and you don't intend to donate to me forever, that's fine. I'm okay with that. I, I promise you. If you don't ever want to buy merch, that's okay with me also. Um, which, by the way, merch, informwithanthony.com forward slash shop, freedom, uh, promo code freedom. Just due to today, tomorrow, August 1st, it will change. And, and obviously, if you're signed up for my newsletter, same website, you guys can sign up there. But if you've never, the point is, if you've never donated to me, if you're new here, if you like what I am doing, if you like what I'm trying to do, if you've seen me work through prior elections, you know that I'm trying to do everything I can, especially here in Los Angeles, to change the status quo. If you can help donate just $10 a month between now and then, which, by the way, if you wish to make a one uh, like a one time payment, some people say, hey, I don't want to subscribe every month, but I want to just pay you up front. How much would it be between now and November two, uh, 2024? It's one hundred and sixty dollars. So if you want to get over it, if, if you never want to have to worry about donating, buying merch or anything like that, we're trying to get a thousand people to just pay one hundred and sixty dollars one time or ten dollars a month. It would really, really help out the channel. We got great things coming for you guys. We've got a new show on Wednesday evenings. It's going to be cultural. We're going to be bringing in guests. We're going to be bringing in candidates. We are in talks. You know, I, I don't want to uh, get ahead of the. I don't want to put the cart before the horse. Uh, but we are in talks with Robert Kennedy's uh, junior uh, team. We are trying to get him out here in Los Angeles um, so that he can potentially come on the show. I've already submitted the request. I am in talks with this inner circle. And it looks like it might be happening. Uh, but even if it doesn't happen, it's okay. Um, you know, we, we we will continue forward. But all of this is only available because you guys are helping with as little as $10 a month. So head on over to patreon.com forward slash from with Anthony for as little as $10 a month just through November. If after that you never want to donate another cent, again, that's on you. I appreciate you guys' help. If anything, just follow me across social medias. Give me your likes. Give me your comments. I'll take that. And it's all free. All right. Let's dive into that very first article here. Or, or yeah, article. Well, this is actually me. The source is me. <laughs> I went out on Saturday. You know, a lot of people think that I, all I do is just chill here in the office. Uh, that's not the case. Not in this office or my second office where I do our second show on Wednesdays at 6 p.m. I also hit the streets. I know I'm only one man, but I'm a very, very busy man. And I was actually just having this conversation with my wife over the weekend. And she's like, you're going to get busier the closer we get to election day, huh? And I'm like, yep. And she's like, that's nuts because you essentially already work seven days a week. And I'm like, 
Yup. It's like uh, that famous quote that says, you know, I, I left my eight to five uh, so I can be an entrepreneur and work 24 seven, which is essentially the case. I, I really do work every single day. I wish I had the luxury of not ha having to work every single day, but you know, this is the part of the risk that you take in just being independent and trying to do all you can try not to miss anything. And I remember just a quick side note, back in 2022, there were so many candidates and there were so many people angry at me that I didn't interview them. And I'm like, guys, I, I wish I could have interviewed every single person. Uh, but the reality is I there's only one of me. I can only interview so many people. And then we have a production team that we have to pay. It's not that big of a team, uh, but that's why we want to change things. I believe that with $10 a month, we can amp things up. We've got a daily show and then now we've got a weekly show. My hopes is that we can turn that weekly show into also a daily show, meaning I'd love to go live every single day in the mornings for you guys, 45 minutes to an hour, and then in the evening for an additional two to three hours. And that will involve um, that'll involve that'll involve guests, candidates and people you want to see. There was a lot of campaigns that reached out to me uh, trying to get the candidates on my show. I, I don't have the budget for that. I don't have the money for that, uh, unfortunately. But that's what we're trying to solve today, which is why if you guys start today, donating today, we can we can increase production. We are already we have already hired one new producer slash editor. We can hire more people. We can hire journalists. There's a lot of people that tell me, like, why don't you ever come to my city to cover all the things that are wrong in my city? And I say, my brother and sister in Christ, I wish I could make it out there, uh, but I, I'm just one person. You know, I wish I could be everywhere at once. Um, I wish you guys could see my schedule slash planner. Um, I'm booked essentially all the way through September. And even like mid-September, I've got three speaking events that I'm going to be doing. Plus my anniversary, plus my birthday, plus my wife's birthday. It's a mess. Um, but of course, not complaining. I'm just saying, I, I, you know, sometimes people get angry at me. I wish... I had the budget to hire another person so that they could interview more people or head to your local city where bad things are happening. But that's our plan. That's our goal. And it only happens if you subscribe today. That's just the reality. All right. This was me, uh, July 20th. So this is two days ago. This is Saturday. It says, happening now, Beverly Hills, California, hundreds of Christians and pro-life activists are holding a prayer worship rally in the steps of a building that is supposed to be the first all trimester abortion clinic. So this is DuPont Clinic. This is uh, downtown Beverly Hills, essentially. And this is what that looked like here for you guys. Many people, like my mentor, Jeff and Cheryl, have been doing this, fighting this for almost 50 years now. We stand on the shoulders of giants, finishing their work, but this is the thing. Their tireless work got us to the overturn. So initially, I had thought that there was going to be a lot more people. I think I reported that there was a, a, a planned couple thousand people. I think some things fell through the cracks. There was supposed to be bigger speakers. I think Jack Hibbs was supposed to be there. This is something, you know, and, and I'll just be honest with you guys. It seems when it comes to planning this type of stuff, it, a lot of things fall through the cracks and it seems like everyone wants to take credit. This is something that actually Patrick Bet Davidson was just talking about on his, on his podcast. I, I know a lot of you here also listen to him on the daily and he has been trying to plan and organize uh, something with the Glendale parents. He is, our, he is, I believe, half Armenian, if not entirely Armenian. He was raised in Glendale, California. 
um, and he was talking about how he wants to plan something with the Glendale parents as they're fighting the school boards. And he has said that, unfortunately, the feedback has been very negative, meaning everyone wants to take credit. Everyone wants to say that they shouldn't interview other people, that some groups should not be part of the conversation because they only just got started while other groups have been around for longer. And so he kind of called them out on his podcast and said, dude, you guys need to get it together in California. You guys like need to unite. You guys need to, you, you know, come together. We need to stop this infighting. Some of you are privately messaging me, calling out other people. Hey, like, don't listen to Anthony. Like, this guy's a fake and a, and a grifter, whatever. Not saying that that's what was said to him. He didn't say that. But it's just the infighting. And it's like, guys, come on, man. So regardless of that, irregardless, irregardless of all of that, irregardless of all of that, um, it was still a beautiful sight to see. It was it's great to partake with those people. Because, look, at the end of the day, as an organizer, someone that's just behind the scenes, I know of the drama. I know of the infighting. But these people don't. They're there to worship. They're there to pray. They're there because they showed up and they believe in something. So this was definitely very beautiful uh, to see here. And then um, these, uh, this is also uh, some of my work. It says Beverly Hills, California. Some of the faces of the pro-life crowd battling this brutal heat wave to protest and prayer and worship against DuPont's all-trimester abortion clinic. Uh, so this is uh, one of the images i took it says third trimester abortion is wicked and then a sign that says survivors uh, a third of our generation has been killed uh before birth which is horrible to even think about uh this is a hispanic couple here jesus is king survivors.la i was once an embryo too um and then a hispanic lady with the uh with her kid prayed to end abortion 40 days for life.com and then just some other people that were in the crowd. It was really nice to see because I know that uh, Saturday was a huge fight night. Uh, so I was very surprised that uh, some of the people that I'm used to seeing um, were not there. Uh, not going to call them out. Not going to say anything. But I know that Saturday was a huge fight night. Some people were saying that it was one of the better fight nights in a couple years. I don't know anything about that. I don't watch it. I don't purchase it. If you do, good for you. Uh, you know, if you're a boxer, not you're, you're into that stuff. Good. You know what I mean? Like it, it is. I would just. Um, it's just. It would be very sad if people missed out on this, just because there was a big fight night. Um, I don't know priorities. I guess. Uh, but during this uh, coverage, it was extremely inspiring because we went there, you know, praying over this building, laying hands on on the very steps. There was people on the very steps of this uh, building, which, by the way, I later learned that abortions are already happening at this clinic. And I was talking to some of the locals there. I was asking them, are you aware that there's going to be an all trimester abortion clinic just opening up a mile down the road? This was over in Rodale Drive, Beverly Hills, California. I said, I had no idea. And I said, well, what do you think about that? And they're like, that's that's terrible. You know what I mean? Like, I think abortion should be, for the most case, safe, legal and rare. Uh, but I don't think in all I don't I don't believe in all trimester abortion. So a lot of people just had no idea what was going on, because, of course, everyone's just living their lives. Right. But what was so neat was that. We received some breaking news on that day, and it says major breaking. One of the pro-life organizers received an email last night from deputy city manager of Beverly Hills informing him that in this that the city has canceled their plans to open a DuPont all trimester abortion clinic. This was the crowd's reaction when he read the decision.
So I'm going to show you guys a video here. To confirm that the attorney for the landlord at 8920 Wilshire Boulevard has notified the city that DuPont Clinic will no longer be taking occupancy and the lease has been rescinded. chills right now if three people could do this what could we do if you all got behind this when the church of the living god stands up the spirit of god moves and he blesses the efforts of his church may god bless this effort and may it spread from sea to shining sea and let's see an end to abortion in America because the church of the living God was the one that stood in the gap. And if I don't think that's something to sing another song about, man, I don't think there is. So let's sing. All right. So obviously huge victory. And immediately the negative Nancy's came, you know, attacking me. I, surprising. You know, I don't mind when atheists or agnostics or pro-abortionists uh, come after us. They're like, oh, this is stupid. Why are you celebrating? Blah, blah, blah. I'm always surprised. Mm, I'm not going to say always surprised. I guess it's still shocking, I guess, is a better, better phrase for it. It's so shocking to me when Christians come after us. When you have these doomers, these people that have been so defeated, you have these people that claim to be Christian, that believe to have faith in the higher uh, uh, being, which is God for us, right? That's God. That's Jesus Christ, Christ, the Son of God, uh, and the Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity. It's it's amazing that people that, that claim to be Christian, that go to church every Sunday, are coming back at me and saying, oh, this isn't a win. They're just going to move the location. Why are we celebrating? Who cares? They're, they're going to do it anyway. This is just a minor disruption. They're still going to win. They're still going to build it. And I'm like, man, is that how defeated the church has become? Is that how negative? Is that how of little faith we have become as Christians that whenever we see a small victory like this? And look, listen, here's, here's the reality. You don't think that I know living in California. You don't think in, in studying the enemy. You don't think in reading history books. You don't think in, in documenting the way communists behave, the way they, they act. I've tuned into briefings. I've tuned into conventions that many of my audience hasn't. I'd argue 99.9. You don't think that I, I tune in to the National Educators Association where they talk about not how we're going to better math and English. I listen to the entire convention while people are drinking their Bud Light and and, and watching their football game. While those people are doing that, I'm tuning in to the enemy to hear how they operate. I'm the one on Telegram constantly reminding people that they're still active, that they're still out there protesting. And you guys tell me all the time, Anthony, thank you so much for reminding us that our enemies are working way harder than us. 
I feel convicted because of it. And now I'm going to activate myself. You think that I need reminding that this is only a minor setback. You need to understand one thing. We went to the steps of this to, to hopefully raise awareness, not to completely stop it. It was like when we did the prayer, the prayer night at Dodger Stadium. Christians came at me and they said, you guys are stupid. Nothing will stop. Dodger Stadium was still full. It doesn't matter. What did we set out to do? That was my question to many people. Did we set out there to cancel the event? Did we go out there to block the entrance so nobody can go in? Did we go out there to convince people, you know, that they should not go inside? That's not what we were there for. We were there to pray and pray we did. So our mission was accomplished and we raised awareness and there was a lot of condemnation because of it. And there's a lot of Dodger stadiums, uh, uh, Dodger uh, fans, uh, fans that said, I'm never going to another Dodger stadium uh, or Dodger game again. That's great. But our mission was to pray. That's it. Raise awareness and pray and mission accomplished. The same thing with this though. We weren't there in hopes that the security would come out with giant chains and said, Oh, bah humbug, because of your protesting, we all just lost our jobs. The city just called us. Gavin Newsom called us and said, we've all lost our jobs and they're going to tear down this building because of you 40 protesters out here. Or, you know, there was more than 40 of us. It was a couple hundred. That's not what that's about, man. Like, that's not what any of this is about. Sure, that's what we hope. But you don't think that I understand? You think you need to remind me that the devil will always look for another way. Some people were saying like, oh, this is a premature, like stop celebrating. That That's still an abortion clinic there. I, I know this. I understand that. Maybe you're one of those people that look for every excuse to just not do anything. Maybe you're that person that needs the excuses to just not go out and pray. Maybe you're one of those people that say, oh, I looked into that. It, it doesn't matter. Let, let's just continue with the fight tonight. We, we, we invited a bunch of people over. We're not canceling the fights. We're not canceling our family plans. We're definitely not going to stand out there in 100 degree plus weather the way these dummies are because nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to change. That doesn't matter. Let's let's focus. Did you get did you buy the bag of potato chips? Yes or no? Did you get the Bud Lights? Yes or no? That's what really matters, right? So I can't convince those people otherwise. But you're also not going to sit there and try to minimize the actions of a couple hundred. Scriptures say that where two or three are congregating in his name, that that is where that's the church essentially. That is what the church is. I don't care if nine people showed up. That's the church. That's God using people as his hands and feet for prayer so on that day we went to pray and the night before one of the organizers gets an email saying hey by the way um we're, we, we pulled the permit it's no longer happening if you want to minimize that action the fact that we were there to pray and that we had been praying for weeks about this abortion clinic if you want to believe that that was anything outside of a divine miracle by god i can't help you if you want to think that that was a cosmos, if you want to think that that was just going to already happen, and this is, again, my problem. I expect that of non-believers. I don't expect that kind of rhetoric from believers. Imagine being a Christian and trying to minimize what happened on this day in downtown Los Angeles, California. Imagine minimizing the fact that hundreds of people came out, drove, stood, 
in scorching heat to pray and worship God in hopes that this clinic was not open. And then we get an email notification saying it's not going to happen. Imagine, imagine trying to minimize that. And again, the thing that gets me is Christians are doing this. So, so what do we believe God does then? You know what I'm saying? Like, if that's not divine intervention, what is, what, what kind of miracles are you expecting for you to finally put into action the faith you claim to have? Imagine hundreds of messages. Oh, that's not what happened. They pulled the permit. They didn't shut it down. They're just going to build it somewhere else on my Twitter. Like, Oh, don't let this distract you. Don't, don't celebrate. Don't be stupid. Don't be naive. Ah, the Christians believing that, that they actually shut something down. Can you imagine saying these things as a believer? Isn't that insane? That's insane to me, but you know what? Again, you just had to be there. But of course, many people won't. They'll never be there because they'll use every excuse. They've already been defeated mentally, spiritually, physically. Like, it's just better to stay at home, watch your fights, buy the spinach dip, barbecue the steak, whatever the case might be. Stay at home. Don't go out there. But you know what? For us, it was a spirit-filled event. There was nowhere else I would have rather been than right there. And I didn't come home and just watch the fights afterward, by the way, because I know a lot of you like, oh, yeah, but he probably says that because he came home. I don't even know who fought. I don't even know who the fighters are. Like, I, I just don't care. And again, I'm not mocking or trying to like belittle anyone that did. But if you were those one of those people that sat there and really debated to yourself, if you knew about the event and you sat there and you're like, man, I have to choose between the both. I'm just going to go ahead and stay at home. Mm. I'll be praying for you, my friend. But it was a spirit-filled event. It was a great victory. Um, nowhere else that would have rather been, to be honest. And, and it was good, man. It was a really good event, spirit-filled, and we won. As, as negative as Christians want to be, as, as stupid as they think I am, as much as people want to argue that protests don't work, that rallies don't work, I cannot think of anyone less Christian than Christians who claim to have faith in God and cannot see what happened this weekend as divine intervention. I, I just don't. And, and you know, somebody on, on Twitter said, oh, then they're just going to put this up in a different location. Okay, my brother and sister in Christ, then we will follow them there and we will pray and rally there when the time comes. Like, it, it, and you know what's so interesting is I was thinking about all this Saturday and, you know, I'm, I'm laying there in bed. I'm exhausted. It was extremely hot. I had just taken a shower. I'm laying there in head and I'm and in bed and I'm trying not to let these people get to me because that's that's all it is. It's the enemy attacking me, right? It's the enemy telling me, you see, you see how it doesn't matter. You see how only 30 people tuned into your live stream. You see how people prefer to watch the fight over watching your live stream. You see how you only received thirty dollars in donations and you got a sixty-four dollar ticket. You see how nobody cares, Anthony. You see how other Christians belittle you. You see how other so why do it, man? And 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 and, and I'm constantly being bombarded like that, always, all the time. I go out there, I post something. I'm thinking to myself, man, there's going to be millions of Christians out there today. Maybe not millions, tens of thousands. For an all of trimester abortion clinic, I mean, there's so many people that proclaim to be pro-life, and no, like these people don't show up, right? And and it is what it is, 
and I've told you guys, that's not why I do it. And, and if I were, if I allow the enemy to finally get through to me and win these conversations, I'd never go anywhere. I just sit at home, turn on my TV and just watch entertainment all day, be distracted by entertainment because I'd be like, yeah, they're right. What is me being there going to have to do with anything? Who cares? Why go get another ticket? Why risk my my myself? Why put myself in harm's way? Does is anyone even watching? Nobody watches. I've been live streaming these events since 2020. Nobody cares. If I allowed that mentality to actually win over me, then I I wouldn't be here today. You know, there's 41 of you. There's people that I believe are intellectually inferior that have really stupid things to say that have very stupid takes especially over on TikTok, and these people have millions of followers. If I allow those things to affect me or to influence me, boy, would I not be here today, you know? But that's not what it's about. I'm hoping that out of the 40, well, now there's 43 of you, that somebody picks up the message and says, you know what? I've listened to him long enough. I'm, I feel convicted. I'm tired of it. I'm, I'm doing something, and that's all that matters, even if it's just one or two people, right? That's what it's all about, ladies and gentlemen. All right, moving on to the next segment here. I want to bring you guys back to this thread, a uh, little old thread by Laura Loomer. Um, and this is July 3rd. So this is almost at the, yeah, the very beginning of, of the month, a little bit over 28 days ago, or about 28 days ago. Scoop, here is the exclusive documentation I obtained, which proves that I said below what I said below days ago regarding the, how the California GOP, specifically California, GOP chairwoman Jessica Patterson, Millen Patterson, and Harmeet Dillon and Shot Steele are trying to omit, amend the bylaws regarding the presidential delegation process in California as it relates to the RNC's nomination of the 2024 GOP nominee. This won't be good for President Trump. The California GOP is trying to amend the, quote, winner take all standard for the California delegation process, which has been in place for years so that they can award delegates to the GOP candidate who comes in second place as a way to counter delegate wins for President Trump in New Hampshire and Iowa, since California has the most delegates out of any state in the country. As I previously reported, this is a strategy by California GOP to transfer delegates from President Trump and move them over to Ron DeSantis in an effort to undermine President Trump and hinder his chances of securing the GOP nomination for president. Speaker McCarthy works closely with Jessica Patterson, whose name is on this document. And again, Jessica Patterson is a California GOP chairwoman. Jessica Patterson signed this proposed bylaw amendment, which was proposed by McCarthy's lapdog, Jessica Patterson, and signed by California RNC National Committee members, Harmeet Dillon and Sean Steele. The California GOP is set to vote on this bylaw amendment in their executive committee meeting on July 29th in Irvine, California, at the Irvine Marriott Hotel at 9.30 a.m., this has been kept a secret from California Republicans and even today, members of the California GOP leadership, including uh, Ron Nering, attacked me on Twitter and called me a liar for what I posted. Little did they know that I have been in possession of the documentation which proves what I have claimed regarding California GOP's conspiracy to sabotage President Trump. The California GOP has been trying to keep this dirty trick a secret, but I'm blowing the whistle on their blatant effort to sabotage President Trump. Their diabolical plan directly traces back to Kevin McCarthy. And there, there's some of this stuff here. Um, and so to just kind of better explain 
what we're talking about. I know a lot of you don't know like delegation. I know a lot of you don't know, understand like the delegate process. What does this mean? What does this mean for us voters? So this is just a little bit more insight. It says, Scoop, Speaker McCarthy is trying to use a delegation process in California's GOP to screw Donald Trump out of the nomination. Each presidential candidate gets to pick the person in charge of appointing their delegates to the national convention. In 2020, Donald Trump's team didn't appoint anyone to do it, which allowed the state GOP in California to pick his delegates. Jessica Patterson is the head of the California GOP. She is a McCarthy psychophant and a Trump hater who is next in line to be RNC chairwoman. There has been discussion about how the California GOP will pick rhino delegates that are open to abandoning Donald Trump on the convention floor if an argument is made on the convention floor about nominating a candidate who is possibly convicted or facing criminal charges. This is where it gets interesting. Even though we know the charges are bogus. There's 169 GOP delegates in California. California has the most GOP delegates out of any state. In part because we have the most registered Republicans than any other state in the nation. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. California GOP is thinking that Ron DeSantis could win the primary if the entire California GOP congressional delegation endorses him. That would require Kevin McCarthy to endorse DeSantis, which is why he hasn't endorsed Donald Trump for 2024. All right, now let's get to the nitty gritty of things. So it says here, and this is surprising, the Washington Post. So the uh, meeting obviously happened on July 29th. This is written July 30th. This was yesterday. Trump gains advantage as states set delegate selection rules. New California rules could favor Trump while also making it harder for challengers like DeSantis to make it a two-person race. So here we have Laura Loomer, independent journalist. And, you know, regardless of what you think of her personally, I'd like to say that a lot of her stuff is pretty accurate. And she has really good analysis, et cetera. Obviously, she's extremely biased for Donald Trump. I know for a fact she's trying to get hired by her campaign. I think she was temporarily uh, hired, as a matter of fact. And then uh, Trump's campaign said, no, you can't be related to her. She's just a little bit too edgy. She says things. She partners with people that we just don't want to be tied to. And so I think they let her go from what I understand. So here you have Laura Loomer saying one thing. And now we have the Washington Post saying another. So who's right? So this is what happened. Donald Trump's presidential campaign notched a major victory Saturday when members of the California Republican Executive Committee voted to parcel out convention delegates based on the statewide vote next year, doing away with the state's longtime system of awarding them by congressional district, which had been perceived as a more level playing field for lower tiered candidates. The new rules gives Trump a shot at clinching all of the state's 169 delegates more than any other state while at the same time making it harder for a challenger for like Florida Governor Ron DeSantis to make it a two-person race. The dramatic shift in rules which came during a closed-door meeting Saturday in Irvine was denounced as an underhanded political maneuver by allies of DeSantis uh, Trump's leading opponent for the nomination who tried to prevent the change and are now reconsidering their investments in the state. Quote, smoke-filled backrooms do not reflect the will or of, of or benefit voters in any state. Yet across the country, games are afoot to enhance the potential outcome of primary elections for one former president who half of the Republican electorate no longer wants as a party leader. Uh, this was Ken uh, Cuccinelli, founder of the Pro DeSantis Super PAC, Never Back Down, said in a statement, 
quote, even with these asinine primary rules changes, we remain confident Governor DeSantis will become the Republican nominee and 47th president of the United States. Several other key states have been making revisions to their delegate selection rules that could benefit Trump after top Trump advisors launch an early effort to court state officials who have significant autonomy in deciding how their state select their states select delegates. Louisiana Republicans have moved to strengthen the role of candidates in selecting delegates, a change that comes after Trump won the state primary in 2016, but was not able to secure a majority of the delegates. Nevada Republicans have said that they will not recognize the statewide primary, which Democrats voted to set for February 6th, but will instead hold a smaller party-run caucus around the same time to pick delegates, a move that will narrow the number of voters who are decisive in that state. And you know what? I don't know if this one's actually going to pull it up. Do you guys understand, like, delegates and why they're so important? Uh, Sober Saber says, do y'all trust Laura Loomer? She seems a bit odd. She's definitely an oddball. Um, I follow lots of people. I was just bringing this up because it's related to the California delegates. Um, and it turns out, you know, that she was partially correct on, on what she was speaking of. But that's why I wanted to bring it up because I know a lot of you are Laura Loomer fans. Um, what are state delegates and how do they affect presidential elections? Okay, so there's a couple of you saying not not or not necessarily, but I'm I'm gonna go with this. This is masterclass.com. Um, this is September 2022. So obviously, you guys know that as Americans, we get to vote in the primaries a lot. Believe it or not, there's millions of people that don't understand what primaries are, and then there's people that only vote in the general election. So a lot of people don't even partake in the primaries. So what you need to understand it, it, it and it, what's so mind blowing to me is that we have primaries every two years and people still always message me, what the heck are the primaries and how do they differ from the general election? What you need to understand essentially and in short about the primaries and how they differ from the general, the general election always happens. I believe it's the first two second Tuesday of every November, if I'm not mistaken. Either way, it's November. That's the one that everyone remembers, right? Oh, elections are in November. Yeah, we go vote in November. But then there's also special elections where people are either recalled or resign or die. And so they need to have like a special election. Sometimes there are recalls the same way we did here in California when we recalled Gavin Newsom, et cetera, et cetera. Obviously, you guys know that, and I've said this before, that there are a lot of Republicans running. Well, not all those Republicans will make it to November. They will all make it. Well, mostly all will make it so long as they filed and so as long as they qualify for the ballot. They will make it to the primaries. The primaries are held at different dates across all 50 states in the United States. The primaries come months before the general election. The reason for the primaries is because you need to weed out all the people that will not make it to the general election. Usually, the people that make it to the general election are the two most voted for people within their party. 
or the one person most voted for. And because there's two parties, Democrat and Republican, which I understand that there's also the Tea Party, the Green Party. Uh, there's also the Libertarian Party, um, so on and so forth. But usually because of how powerful the DNC is and the RNC, the Republican and Democrat Party, usually it's one of each from their from their party. Going into 2024, we already know that the nominee is going to be Joe Biden, even though that there are other uh, nominees also, including uh, Robert Kennedy, for example. So the primaries is who you get to choose for your party's ticket. You take a look at all the Republicans. In this case, I'm going to make it very simple. I'm not even going to go to judges. I'm not going to go to local races. I'm not going to go to congressional races. I'm just going to stick with presidents because that's what we're talking about here. You need to understand that you have... 10 plus candidates running for Republican runner. You got Chris Christie, you got Ron DeSantis, you got Donald Trump, of course, former president, Vivek Ramaswamy, Mike Pence, Nikki Haley, so on and so forth. In the primaries, meaning months before the general election, when they finally get to decide who the president will be, you need to decide as a Republican who your party's nominee is going to be. So you will put, you know, um, I want Donald Trump to be the nominee. I want Vivek Ramaswamy to be the nominee. I want Governor Ron DeSantis to be the nominee. Once the primaries are over, that is how you decide. You, the people, still have a vote who you decide on who's going to be that nominee. So the people will vote and they'll be like, okay, Donald Trump got the most votes out of all, all the registered Republicans. Therefore, this person gets the nomination. Now, it's important to note and as far as I understand, is that in order to vote for that party, you need to be a registered Republican. So if you want to decide the Republican nominee, you have to be a registered Republican. It makes sense to me because why would a libertarian or why would a libertarian be able to choose? Now, in the general election, it doesn't matter what party you are. You can vote for whoever you want. Now, there are some states, from what I understand, including California, that you still have to be registered to that party if you wish to vote for them. So in California, as far as I understand, even during the general election, if you wish to vote for the Republican, you have to change your vote to a, a, a voter registration as Republican. And a lot of people don't know this. And so it, it mixes everything up. It's politics. It's dirty. It's messy. It's never cut and clear. You know this. I know this. We all know this. But with the delegates, the delegates are appointed. So let's say in 2022, and this is why I say it's so important for you guys to get involved. It's not that hard to get appointed as a delegate. You must have worked with a candidate or you must have been a candidate running and you get appointed delegates. So for example, and this is not 100% accurate, but just to give you an example, I was appointed a California state delegate by someone that ran in 2020. Um, I, I helped with her campaign. We endorsed her and she ended up not winning, but either way, just for the fact that she won, she got to choose three delegates. And again, I, I don't remember if it was exactly three. It's essentially the party saying, we endorsed you as a party. We hope that you would win, but even though you lost, you still get to say what happens with our state party. And so you are now a state delegate meaning the person that ran. And you also get to appoint three other delegates of your choosing. And as long as there are registered Republicans, that's all that matters. So she reached out to me and she said, Anthony, would you like to be a state delegate? And at the time I was still part 
of the of the GOP in California. So I said, yeah, of course, let's do it. So I was then appointed as a she she put my information down. She asked me to fill something out. It was submitted. I was then put as a delegate. I've since let the time on my delegate because you got to pay member fee. So you got to be part of the California GOP. So you got to pay membership dues to them. And then you also have to pay to be a delegate. And I believe it's like $115 a year or something like that. And you get invited to all the meetings, including this closed door meeting that just happened over the weekend. I should have been there as a state delegate. But here's my thing. And I told you guys before. As a journalist. As a person in media, I do believe that you, obviously you can vote Republican or vote Democrat and you can still have objective news. I don't want to be a state delegate influencing one way or the other. I I don't want to be part of any campaign. I don't want to be part of the California GOP because when you are, it comes with a lot of red tape. There are bylaws, there are rules, and there are guidelines of things that you can say and things that you cannot say. For example, when I was a chairman for the California uh, Hispanic Republican Assembly, I couldn't, as a chairman, say things about Republicans that sometimes I wish to do. And obviously, you could see in my line of work how this would conflict with, with things. If I want to look at a presidential candidate or a congressional one or a local one even, and the person is Republican, and I want to call them out or I want to expose them or I want to present to you, the audience, evidence that they are rhinos or that they're not Christian or they're, they don't have our values in mind i wouldn't be able to say that if i were part because it is in their bylaws that no republican and depending on the the group of course i wouldn't be able to speak ill and i and i posted something to you guys this morning in telegram that there are campaigns that are paying people to tweet about them you can get paid as little as fifty dollars you can get paid as much as a couple thousand dollars to put a positive tweet about people this is my problem with influencers such as like Laura Loomer, Alex Brusewitz, uh, Pedro Gonzalez, a couple other people. I can't say all of the people that I just listed, but most of the people, including other influencers that you might like, are getting paid to speak positively about one candidate. I want you guys to know, and this is my pledge until 2024, which is why I'm asking you, please, $10 a month. I could quit today, and I've said this before, and I could make tens of thousands of dollars being a political consultant, tweeting nice things about my favorite candidate, and you guys would never know that I'm getting bags of money um, behind the scenes to do this. I don't feel it's genuine. If I praise a candidate or if I promote a candidate or if I endorse a candidate, which I'm not going to be doing any endorsement, and because I have these people on my platform doesn't mean I'm endorsing. I just want you guys to know who the candidate is. And then you decide, is this a candidate for me? Yes or no. I don't think it's genuine to see all this infighting online because these people are getting paid. So it, 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 it kind of creates like this murky middle of, is this person really like saying this about Trump or, be, or DeSantis because they genuinely support this person or because they're getting paid to nine times out of 10, they're getting paid to do it. And, and it sucks because 
I feel that if you're an influencer taking money, if you're a political commentator, if you claim to be independent media, whatever the case might be, you should disclose with your audience that you're getting paid for this. It's like when the Bab, uh, what is it, the Babylon Bee, when they, uh, you know, posted stuff against Trump. People tied the connection that all of a sudden the Babylon Bee is writing memes about Donald Trump that don't paint him in the in the greatest of pictures, and it turns out that the DeSantis campaign made a large donation, tens of thousands of dollars, to the Babylon Bee. And he created this whole commotion of like, dude, you guys are getting paid to write memes and do memes making Trump look bad. And they're like, oh, and they were able to kind of write it off as like, hey, we're a satire page. This is satire. It, we're not going to stop doing satire just because your candidate got made fun of. But was that really the case, though? Or was it the fact that the DeSantis campaign donated tens of thousands of dollars? I don't know, right? So now it's like you don't know if the person is being genuine or not. And it's not that I'm like this person that says, hey, everyone, follow me. I'm the most honest person there. I I like, the, I like Donald Trump. A lot of people don't like Donald Trump, and that's okay with me. But at least you know for transparency's sake, I'm not taking a single dollar. I haven't taken a single cent from any campaign to be on my podcast, to be on my show, to be promoted. And the thing is, I've been contacted hundreds of times by campaigns. Please have me on your podcast. Please repost my 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 policies. Please do this for me. Please do that for me. Please. This. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. If you guys see me repost something of Trump or DeSantis, it's because I organically wanted to do it. All right. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself here. Getting too distracted. All right, understanding U.S. delegates, four types of delegates. In order to confirm a presidential candidate in the general election, the candidates must attain a certain amount of votes from delegates who are individuals representing their constituents' political interests. So it says here, what is a delegate? In the American presidential nominee selection process, delegates are individuals who represent the political interests of a group of people in their state at the Democratic National Convention and the Republican National Convention. They're often political activists, local politicians, national party committee members, or early supporters of a particular candidate, as I just explained for you guys. Delegates support one specific candidate within their given party with the aim of that candidate becoming the official party candidate for an upcoming presidential election. Delegates are chosen most often through state primaries, but sometimes through state caucuses. In general, a Democratic candidate must win at least 2,375 out of 4,750 delegates to become the party's official candidate for the general election, while a Republican candidate must secure 1,277 out of 2,552 delegates to do the same. What is the purpose of the delegates? Delegates represent the interests of a group of people within a political party by voting on their behalf at a party's national convention. Delegates from both parties vote on a specific candidate in the presidential primary election to select the party's nominee that advances to the general election. The process of awarding delegates to specific political candidates varies between the Democrat and Republican parties. Democratic delegates. Democrats use a proportional method of awarding delegates, assigning them to presidential nominees based on a percentage of support through state caucuses or primary votes. Republican delegates. Each state can choose whether to award Republican delegates based on proportional support or through a winner-take-all method, where all the state's delegates are awarded to the candidate who won 
the most votes. That is the winner take all that we were just talking about. So there are four types of delegates, and I'm going to move on from here because I don't want to make the entire thing about delegates. We do have other stories to cover, but I can, if you guys are interested, I can make a specific episode or, or segment or podcast only talking about the delegate process so that you can better understand if you're interested. So there are four types of delegates, a pledge delegate, unpledged delegate, a bound delegate, and unbound. Pledge delegate are Democratic delegates who are required to vote for a specific candidate. An unpledged delegate are delegates in the Democratic Party who are not pledged to vote for a specific candidate. They're also known as superdelegates. A bound delegate are Republican Party delegates who are required to support a specific candidate as determined by their state primary or caucus. And an unbound delegate are Republican Party delegates who are not obligated by any state election or caucus result to support a specific candidate. These delegates are also known as superdelegates. All right. So here we have... Um, uh, Laura Loomer just kind of talking it over kind of what we just went over. And this is with Steve Bannon on a show. And they were just talking a little bit. I'm going to let it run for about two minutes and then we're going to get on to the next story. But it looks like at the end of this California GOP, it looks like because Donald Trump is is polling so high that as long as he has over 50 percent polling, it looks like he's going to be taking all these delegate votes, essentially giving Donald Trump the win that he needs in California, which has the most delegate votes. Yeah, well, uh, thanks so much for having me on, Steve. And just a few days ago, at one o'clock in the morning on 4th of July, I published internal emails uh, sent from California GOP chairwoman, Jessica Patterson, who of course is one of Kevin McCarthy's lapdogs. And this email was sent to uh, the RNC chair, uh, chair people in California, that's Harmy Dillon and Sean Steele. And on this email, you can see it's a proposed bylaw amendment change uh, to the rules regarding delegate allocation for the presidential primary in the state of California. Why does this matter? Well, California has the most delegates out of any any state in the country. They have 169 delegates. And generally speaking, the way it's always worked in California is you have a winner takes all delegate process where uh, whoever gets majority, right, over 50% gets all of the delegates. But this proposed bylaw change that uh, Jessica Patterson secretly tried to push through, and this was never reported to the public. This was never conveyed uh, to the uh, local GOPs in California. No, they tried to do this uh, in secret behind closed doors, and they were going to vote on it at their executive meeting on July 29th until I blew the whistle. This would allocate delegates up to upwards of 50 to 55 of uh, the delegates that would have been allocated to uh, the winner of the primary in California uh, to second place. And of course, right now uh, with the. All right. So we're going to end it there. So essentially what she is claiming is that uh, it went from a winner take all, meaning if you get over 50 percent in the polling or 50 percent of the of the delegate votes, then you take all of the votes. And what essentially what the California GP was proposing was that there should also be delegate votes for the second place, meaning obviously we know that in second place is Governor Ron DeSantis. And she is claiming that up to 50 to 55 votes could be for second place, meaning that they're taking away votes from Donald Trump. But again, according to The Washington Post, this is not what happened on Saturday. So everything is kind of, you know, it says here. The Trump campaign, just going back to the article real quick, the Trump campaign immediately expressed support Saturday for the California rules change, highlighting language that will allow any candidate who gets more than 50 percent of the statewide votes on March to claim all of the state's 169 delegates. County election officials will start mailing ballots 
on February 5th, 2024, before the Nevada primary, but after the expected dates of the Iowa caucus. So it seems like either there was some miscommunication, some misdirection, or it seems like somebody got exposed and the changes were then made to ensure that the person that got the most delegate votes did, in fact, receive all of the delegate votes. So this is obviously an ongoing story, and I will continue to update you guys with that. All right. This is uh, breaking. This was uh, yesterday. The DOJ is attempting to arrest Hunter's former business partner, Devon Archer or Devin Archer. I don't know why I said Devon. Devon, that sounds fancy. Devin Archer's uh, Archer just hours before he's set to testify against the Biden crime family's business dealings. Comer, this is obstruction of justice. And I don't know what else you could potentially call this, ladies and gentlemen. So this is here. This report people not to cooperate. I want to ask you about your investigation, but first, let me get to this breaking news. I have in my hand a letter from the Department of Justice that was sent to the Southern District of New York on Saturday. Uh, by the way, Devin Archer is testifying on Monday. Do you ever see, do you usually see the DOJ send letters like this out on a Saturday? Never, never. This is the first time I've ever heard of the Department of Justice doing anything on a Saturday. So what is this letter? Can you walk us through it? Uh, the government is uh, apprising the court of the status of Devin Archer's appeal of his judgment of conviction, and they request that the court set a surrender date for the defendant to report to a facility. Uh, please walk us through what this right. letter says. Yeah, the letter from the Department of Justice is uh, trying to nudge the judge to go ahead and uh, sentence Devin Archer. Uh, for uh, something unrelated to what we're going to be talking to him about tomorrow. Uh, it's odd that it was issued on a Saturday, and it's odd that it's right before he's scheduled to come in to uh, have an opportunity to speak in front of the House Oversight Committee and tell the American people the truth about what really went on with Burisma. So, you know, I don't know if this is a coincidence, Maria, or if this is another example of the weaponization of the Department of Justice, but I can tell you this. The lengths to which the Biden legal team has gone to try to intimidate our witnesses, to coordinate with the Department of Justice, and to certainly coordinate with the Democrats on the House Oversight Committee to encourage people not to cooperate with our investigation, to encourage banks not to turn over bank records, to encourage Treasury not to let us have access to those suspicious activity reports. It's very troubling, and I believe that uh, you know this is a another violation of the law. This is obstruction of justice, but nevertheless, we're going to continue. So here we have being laid out before us what is clearly... I want to ask you about your investigation. Obstruction of justice. It's kind of terrifying to see the levels of by any means necessary that this administration is willing to take. Again, it's 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 baffling to me that more mainstream media is not talking about this. Um, this is Marjorie Taylor Greene. It says it's on Devin Archer is coming in, which he is coming in today, by the way. The DOJ harassment obstruction can't stop the truth about Joe Biden from being told impeachment inquiry is imminent. Very interesting. Uh, this is also Mar Marjorie Taylor Greene. It says, after obstructing justice, demanding Devin Archer to go to jail immediately, the DOJ sends a letter again demanding Devin Archer go to jail, but backpedaling as fast as possible to clarify after his congressional testimony why there were workload on a Saturday and Sunday. What is the DOJ worried about? And look, it doesn't matter if you're right or left, Republican, Democrat, fascist or communist. doesn't matter. 
Why is it that you have legal experts testifying that this has never happened on a Saturday or Sunday? And now you have the Justice Department issuing an arrest for someone that is potentially going to be able to incriminate Joe Biden and Hunter Biden with the Burisma dealings overseas in Ukraine, China and abroad. I think we all know the answer to that. It was kind of a rhetorical question for those of us in the know. But if you're on the outside looking in, if you're one of these people that are not tuned in daily, perhaps. You must be looking at this and 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 saying to yourself. I can't think of another word. Outside of obstruction of justice. And, and here's the thing is the mental gymnastics behind corporate media and and Democrats saying, well, the, 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 the Department of Justice is acting on its own will. There's no proof or evidence that Joe Biden is influencing the Department of Justice. Spare me. Spare me. Come on. Come on, man. Come on, man. You're telling me that you have a key witness that is ready to implicate Joe Biden and Hunter Biden. And on a Saturday, which has apparently never happened before, they're issuing an immediate arrest for this guy set to testify on Monday, meaning today, July 31st. And then after national outrage and, and everyone putting eyes on this and ears on this on, on social media, now all of a sudden, the DOJ is backtracking and saying, like, oh, that's not what we meant. We didn't mean immediately. We actually meant after he testifies, duh. But even then, if you are Devon Archer, right, you must be looking at this and you're like, dude, I'm screwed no matter what. What would be the reason to lie, right? What would be the reason to come in and say, you know what, I don't longer want to say. This is classic bullying. This is classic obstruction of justice. This is classic. I, I, I can't think of anything else more blatantly obvious of what's transpiring here to intimidate key witnesses, as this guy said, whether it's subpoenaing, you know, bank records, whether it's classified information, whether it's uh, key testimonies. Now they're trying to arrest them two days before he's supposed to come in and testify before Congress. And of course, what does the corporate media say? Mm, let's take a look. The Washington Post, the right once again, gins up a basis came of intimidation saying like, oh, no. And, and this is what's so frustrating to me. It's so obvious what's happening here. And here you have the Washington Post saying, hey, you, your your local conspiracy theorist is at it again. Let, let me explain to you why is that. And of course, most people, and, and I've told you guys this before, I, I did a paper study uh, back when I was in college. I said that over 33% of people share an, uh, an article just based on the headline alone, meaning people will read a headline and they're like, yep, that's true enough for me to reshare and claim as a debunk to something. So, of course, people say, hey, you know what? Um, the Biden administration and, and the DOJ are working to arrest this man before he's set to testify against Hunter Biden, the Burisma dealings, and implicating potentially and allegedly President Joe Biden himself when he for years made the claims that he had no idea what was happening with his son's business dealings. But here I have this headline that says the right in the political right is once again, gins up a basis claim of intimidation. Well, if that's what they say, right. 
Earlier this month, there was a brief flurry of agitation on the right over what was presented as an effort to silent testimony from someone with information damaging to President Biden. The Justice Department unsealed an indictment against a man named Gao Luft, who the government claims had aided Chinese government interests and worked to evade sanctions on Iran as he served as a, as a director at a D.C. area think tank. Luft had previously been identified as a potential anti-Biden witness by House Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer, Republican out of Kentucky. It's not clear what evidence Luft was prepared to offer against Biden and his son Hunter, though New York Post columnist Miranda Devine Reporting about a videotape statement from Luff didn't find much that was new, but still, here was a potential witness against the government facing criminal charges. Weaponization of the legal system, just like they've been doing to Donald Trump. As you may by now be aware, this wasn't actually the story. The Justice Department unsealed the charges this month, but the indictment had been handed down in November. Love's claims about Biden came to the attention of Comer and Devine. It seems only after he'd been arrested on these charges earlier this year and began claiming that he was being targeted because of what he knew. The argument from Comer and his allies was either misinformed or dishonest, but they appear not to have uh, internalized any lessons from it. On Sunday, Devine had a new report. In a letter, Devine said the Justice Department was trying to imprison Hunter Biden's former business partner, Devon Archer, before he could offer testimony to Comer's committee on Monday. Quote, the DOJ is trying to arrest Devon Archer ahead of his bombshell testimony Monday about Joe Biden's involvement in his son's Hunter Ukraine's business when he was vice president, Devine wrote on social media. The letter she claimed sought to send Archer to, quote, jail immediately. Comer dutifully showed up on Maria Bart uh, Bartiromo's Sunday morning Fox News show, which is the interview that you and I just watched or heard, if you listen to this on the audio only where the host asked them about the letter. Bartiromo, like Devine, is often at the center of these discussions. It was to Bartiromo that Comer had it may admit a losing track of a witness. So it says, quote, the letter of the Department of Justice is trying to nudge the judge to go ahead and sentence Devon Archer for something unrelated than what we're going to be talking about to him about tomorrow, Comer told Bartiromo. It's odd that it was issued on a Saturday, and it's odd that it's right before he's scheduled to come in to have an opportunity to speak in front of the House Oversight Committee and tell the American people uh, the truth about what really went on with Burisma. So just for context, ladies and gentlemen, the author of this article is trying to say this has already happened before. They try to make it seem like why are they arresting him now when the indictment was issued back in November? Well, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce you to clear misdirection. The author of this article, Philip Bump, national columnist for the Washington Post, is saying, I am building up this report that shows you that this has been done before, and it's nothing outside of conspiracy. Baseless claim might have you. He's making the argument that like this Devin Archer fellow, there was another man, this Mr. Luft, that was supposed to testify against the Bidens. But just moments before, days before his testimony, there was an issue for his arrest. There was a warrant out for his arrest. And he is trying to make the picture that it wasn't an immediate one. The indictment was actually handed off back in November of last year. But here's what they don't tell you. The indictment might have been handed back in November. But what is the convenience? What is the need even to arrest them just days before? So there, for all we know, there could be indictments for multiple people that work 
with the with the Bidens and are looking to testify and, and have committed crimes and are going to jail because that's what's happening with Mr. Loft being convicted of something, going to jail. That's why they issued a, an indictment. That's why they're arresting the guy. Same thing now with Devin Archer, right? There's an indictment for him. They're looking to make an arrest. So they're probably going to come back and they're going to say the same thing about Devin Archer. Oh, this wasn't a new indictment. This was actually months ago. So then if it was already months ago, why? I mean, just think of optics sake. So you're holding on to this piece of paper, right? You're holding on to this piece of paper and you're like, this is the indictment right here. And you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting. And then it comes to light that the person that you're looking to indict, that you're looking to arrest, whatever the case might be, whatever the reason for waiting for this person is looking to testify before an oversight committee. Well, now you're like, well, wait a minute. I have this piece of paper. Let's just go out and arrest them now before they testify. Let's just say for the sake of an argument, that's not what transpired. Let's say the person says, we're not going to arrest him now because he's about to testify. The reality is, and again, this is where the misdirection is. We've had this indictment for months now. The time simply is convenient for us. It just so happens that it's a coincidence. You see how they do this? You see how I do that? And then they're able to write up these little articles saying, oh, they tried this before. The right is making up baseless claims. It's not that they arrested them now. This indictment has been sitting on their desk for months. Okay, so then let me ask you, Mr. Media Guy, why would you wait until a couple of days in two instances before testimony, before an oversight committee, to finally execute this warrant or indictment and arrest the person. This is where the problem in lies. And it's it's almost like it's all a big wheel. It, it's all interweb connected. It's we're going to wait on this. And then when the timing is right, we will come after them. And then we know that the media is going to spin it. We're going to tell them, actually, no. They're going to have their contact over at the Washington Post, contact them and say, hey, what's up with this wanting to arrest Evan Archer? It's like, oh, don't worry. We've had this indictment for months, and that's how we want you to spin it. And the little good Mr. Journalist is going to write that out. Oh, my contact at the Department of Justice said that actually they they made this indictment and warrant for the arrest months ago. This is all just the Republicans being crazy as they always are. So it says here, uh, so uh, uh, it says, um, I don't know if this is a coincidence, Maria, or if this is another example of the weaponization of the Department of Justice. He continued, but I can tell you this, the lengths to which the Biden legal team has gone to try and intimidate our witnesses to coordinate with the Department of Justice and to certainly coordinate with the Democrats on the House Oversight Committee to encourage people not to cooperate with our investigation is very troubling. And I believe that it is this is another violation of the law. This is obstruction of justice. You see how careful. This man is insane and saying, I don't know if this is really happening. This is my this is the allegations, and it is of my belief. All very safe words to use because we presented all the evidence days before an oversight committee hearing this testimony. This key witness is set to testify. And look, maybe nothing might come of it. That's fine. So then that's why the argument is: so then why come after him? Just days before it's almost like they're laughing at you you know it's like oh let's do this because i know it's going to send them nuts 
And then, and then, and, and, and I'll be very honest. I'll be very honest. I wouldn't be surprised if this string of webs goes out like this. The DOJ has the piece of paper in hand, and they say, we've got the indictment ready for Devin Archer. We're going to hold off on it. Devin Archer wants to come and testify before the oversight committee, maybe as part of a plea deal, maybe in hopes to expose the truth, whatever the, the, the case might be. So then the DOJ, you know, it, 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 now there's reports that Devin Archer is going to come, right? So, so months go by. Devin Archer saying, I'm going to contact Congress and I'm going to do an over oversight hearing, right? So Congress is like breaking news or, you know, the oversight committee might say, hey, we've just acquired what could be potential evidence against the Biden criminal family and their business doings in Burisma. We have a key witness by the name of Devin Archer. Or we have a key witness, which at this point we're not disclosing. But of course, the deep state already knows who the person is because it's like, well, if it's someone connected to Biden, who are we looking to indict already? Who's going to jail already? Who could benefit from this? Devin Archer, right? And this is what I mean by like they're laughing at us. They're like, you know what? You know what we should do now that we all know that he's going to go to the oversight committee? Let's like wait two days before the testimony. And then let's execute the warrant for his arrest. Let's go ahead and put out a thing saying, hey, and you know what? Let's do it on a Saturday. That'll really just throw them off. Like they're going to get all worked up. They're going to get on their social media. They're going to take a break from watching the MMA fight, whatever the case. And they're like, oh, blatant obstruction of justice. Look at what's happening here. Wow. You know, like, look at this. This is that. And then. We already know that Devin doesn't have anything. It'll make him look stupid. And then we'll work with our normal contacts. I'll reach out to my guy at Washington Post, and he'll write up this article making the Republicans look stupid once again. So again, this might be the way it all worked out, and it's going perfectly. So Devin Archer might come in today. I'm not making the case. I'm not calling it obstruction of justice. I'm saying with all the evidence presented, it sure looks that way. So again, outside of them making the mistake of indicting him and then retracting and saying like, oh, no, 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 we meant like afterward, I almost feel like it's all done on purpose. It's all coordinated. Not saying that Devin Archer is a key player here, but maybe he felt right into the lap. Maybe he's playing right into the deep state's hands. I don't know what whatever you wish to call it. And this was all under the illusion that Devin Archer is going to be the finally the one guy that brings down Hunter Biden and Joe Biden, right? Because that's kind of what they're presenting it as. Like, oh, look, we've got these witnesses and they're going to present and this is not. Um, yeah, exactly. Elaine, you know, yep, doing what they do best. They're playing games. And so they knew that Devin Archer was going to go into the oversight committee and present this evidence. And so they waited on a Saturday. They're like, oh, just, just do it today. Just do it today. Trust me, trust me. And then they got Republicans all riled up and they're like, oh, you know what this means, that they're over their mark. Because this is just the way that our side operates, which is why I tell people, Guys, don't get ahead of yourselves. Not everything is a conspiracy. Not everything is like, oh, you see, like, oh, here it comes. Nothing has to do with hicks. You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't have to be a hick about it. You don't have to be, oh, here, here it comes. Oh, this is the one. And I'm like, bro, for all you know, they're playing you. They're playing you like a drum. They know that doing this on a Saturday is going to stir controversy. Then the person's going to come in on Monday. And they're not going to have anything for us. There's nothing that implicates anybody. On the other hand, I might be wrong. Maybe it wasn't all a game. 
Maybe they are fearful of what he might, he might testify about. Who knows? Right? Who knows? Is the establishment really running scared? Is Joe Biden really worried? He's the most powerful guy in the nation. Arguably, the world, whether you like it or not. Who knows? So it says, so it says here, Archer was a business partner of Hunter Biden for years. In 2016, while Joe Biden was vice president, Archer and a number of other individuals were indicted to charges they defrauded members of a Native American tribe. They were found guilty in 2018, and this past February, Archer was sentenced to a year in prison. Archer appealed the decision. A federal appellate court in New York declined to hear the final iteration of Archer's appeal early this month, informing the judge overseeing this case last week. A few days later, U.S. Attorney Damien Williams sent the judge to his letter, a letter in which there is no demand that Archer will be arrested or immediately imprisoned. Um, so obviously, you know, he is in the oversight committee hearing today. I will let you guys tomorrow of any revelations that are done today. Um, and I'll keep you guys posted. I think it's going to be interesting. Again, I don't, you know, we, we, we work these people up. We work these witnesses up to be finally, this is going to be the guy that brings it all down. This is it for them. I'm like, eh, you don't need to be again, a hick about it. You don't need to be a here it comes. You, you can listen to the arguments. We can look at all the evidence. And it is of my opinion that this is clear obstruction of justice. Whether they're playing a game or they're not playing a game, why else would you do it, right? They might be afraid. They might not be afraid. Who knows? This is a deep state we're talking about. These are federal institutions that all work alongside each other, that message each other, that have all the powers that it might be to sway things one way or the other. In my honest opinion, I don't think Joe Biden is worried, not in the least, because like I said, I don't think that impeach, impeachment, despite Marjorie Taylor Greene talking about it today, I don't think impeachment is probable. It might happen at the House level. Sure. You know, somebody was giving me grief last week saying, Anthony, you know, you said that the Republicans are spineless and then they're finally looking at. I understand that. All I am saying is realistically, there's no way to impeach Joe Biden without the Senate jumping on board. Um, as far as I know, if you're a legal expert, please contact me. All right. Uh, and the last bit of news here, it's more like a side note, um, but uh, it is very interesting. It is July 31st today, meaning tomorrow's August 1st, ladies and gentlemen. Si Dios nos presta vida, or as, like my mom likes to say, uh, which means if God allows us to wake up tomorrow, be here today, tomorrow, who knows? He might come today. But he's got to come today. I'm so ready. So, so ready. Um, Trump on True Social on upcoming upcoming debate. Let them debate so I can see who I might consider for vice president. Trump has hinted at not debating any Republican candidate before the primaries. We were just talking about what's the difference between primaries and general election. Uh, a move the RNC national chairwoman, Ronna McDaniel, has said would be a, quote, mistake. The first Republican presidential debate will be August 23rd. So we're literally 24 days away, well, 23 days or so, away from the first Republican presidential candidate debate officially launching debate season going to 2024. I'm super excited. You guys know that. I know this. We all know this. I will 100%, if God wills it, be live for that debate. And I will be live right here on YouTube. So make sure that you guys have your notifications on as well. Um, so this is what he said on True Social. Uh, and then uh, it says here, the intelligence, first Republican debate, who's in, who's banned, and who's 
boycotting. On August 23rd, Fox News will host the first debate of the 2024 presidential race in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. You know what? If it's Fox News holding the debate, I don't know if I'll be able to live stream this. Hmm. I might not be able to live stream the debate unless like C-SPAN also holds it. But if it's a Fox News exclusive, I don't know. Maybe RSBN will probably be there also. And if RSBN is there, I'll be able to live stream it. I'll keep you guys posted. Don't worry. On August 23rd, Fox News will host the first debate of the 2024 presidential race in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, with 13 GOP candidates, 13, uh, running for the nomination. The Republican National Committee decided to set some rules to call candidates who have a little chance of victory. By August 21st, so this is two days before the convention, candidates must hit fundraising and polling thresholds and sign a, quote, loyalty pledge, or they'll be banned from the event. The requirements announced in June were, uh, by previous standards, pretty tough. Candidates need to have 40,000 unique donors. So if I'm not mistaken, you need 40,000 different people to have donated to your campaign. This is why like people like Vivek Ramaswamy, I've seen some other small names also. Not saying Vivek is a small name. I think he's a household name now, if anything. Um, but they're asking 40,000 people to just donate $1 because now if you have one person, even, even if they, and that's the thing is they don't, it doesn't have to be like a hundred dollars, a thousand dollars, $10,000. If you donate just $1 to that candidate, if 40,000 people just donate $1, then they, then they meet this requisite 40,000 unique donors. So it says with at least 200 donors from 20 different states. And they must be polling at 1% or greater in three national surveys or two national and two early state polls. Um, it says that may be fairly difficult due to several methodological requirements. Polls have to include at least 800 likely primary voters. There won't be many polls that qualify, which could be a real problem for lesser known candidates. But as of July 25th, the RNC had confirmed that three national polls from morning consults and three early state polls, the University of New Hampshire survey, Grand State and Fox business polls of Iowa and South Carolina, had met the criteria, making it possible for a number of candidates to cross the qualification finish line and others to get close. Political and multiple candidates have argued that additional national polls, one from JMC, okay, so on and so on and so on and so on. And so on. Pulling aside the, the debate uh, rules that drawn the most controversy is one that any candidate could meet. In theory, a loyalty pledge to support the eventual party nominee. Meaning that should, for example, Donald Trump lose the nomination for the GOP RNC, he has to pledge to support whoever the nominee is and not run as an independent or run separately or additionally. Meaning... Whoever the nominee is, you have to withdraw and you have to support that nominee. A lot of people have speculated that this is the main reason why Donald Trump will not be at the debates because they have to sign that loyalty pledge. Let's be honest, whether you like the guy or don't like the guy, he is polling high. I don't foresee anything happening in the near future outside of potential indictments, maybe his arrest, I don't know. That would make him lose a nomination if he stays on this track. He's only pulling higher and others are pulling lower, including Governor Ron DeSantis, which has not been able to close that gap really anywhere. So there's been a lot of speculation 
that should the Republican Party, quote unquote, steal the nomination away from Donald Trump, that he has considered or that he will consider running as an independent as a third party option, meaning he could still win. So it says, while there's been widespread gumbling and equivocation, only one candidate has flatly rejected the pledge. Former Trek Texas Congressman Will Hurd, who is running on a staunch anti-Trump message. Hurd was a long shot to qualify in any event. I'll be honest, I don't even know who this guy is. Who's Will Hurd? But he's the only candidate we know definitely won't be in Milwaukee unless either he or the RNC has a change of heart. Here's a list which will keep updated of all the Republican candidates who will be on the debate stage and who will be sitting on the sidelines, whether involuntarily or in protest. Candidates who have already qualified. Donald Trump. He's easily met the donor requirements and the polling requirement. The loyalty pledge. Trump has been equivocal about the 2024 pledge. He signed a similar pledge in 2016 that made it clear he didn't feel bound by it. So it's unlikely to be a problem this time either, unless he wants to use it as an excuse to skip debates altogether. We'll see. Ron DeSantis has made it. Donor and polling requirement easily met. Nikki Haley has also met it. Tim Scott, Vivek Ramaswamy, Chris Christie, Doug Bergman, Bergam, uh, Mike Pence. Uh, oh, it says candidates who may or may not qualify. So those are all the people that have already qualified. These are the candidates who may or may not qualify. Mike Pence, his donor requirement. Pence's campaign is reportedly struggling with the donor requirement and with fundraising generally. But it seems likely he'll reach a threshold before August. He's also already met the polling requirement. Asa Hutchinson, he has not met the polling, the donor requirement, and he has also not met the polling requirement. Candidates who probably won't qualify. Francis Suarez, Perry Johnson, Larry Elder. I forgot that that guy is running, dude. That's so funny. So those are the people that are in as of now. Now, again, going back to Donald Trump. Trump suggests, this is the independent. Trump suggests he won't participate in the first GOP debate. It's actually not fair. Donald Trump has suggested that he will not participate in the first debate among candidates for the Republican presidential nomination, telling Fox News host Maria Bartiromo that it's, quote, not fair for candidates who are polling well to be asked questions alongside lower polling candidates. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It says, well, you know, it's quite an easy question normally, the former president said in a taped interview that aired on Sunday morning futures on 6th of July when asked directly whether he would join the debate scheduled. Uh, it says uh, Ronald Reagan didn't do it. A lot of people didn't do it. When you have a big lead, you simply just don't do it. He said he added, why would you be doing a debate? It's actually not fair. Why would you let someone that's pulling at zero or one or two or three, you know, be popping you with questions? The crowded field of candidates must hit certain fundraising and polling thresholds and sign a loyalty pledge to support the eventual party nominee. And then, of course, after this, which you guys can make the argument. Is what he is saying correct? If if you are polling at 70%, 60%, 50%, which he is in many of the polls, by the way, le leading by double digits in, in many cases, should you be... Should you have to debate? Now, I'll be honest with you, just politically biased here. I think it would be very um, sad and boring not to see Donald Trump kind of take on 
even people polling at zero percent i think it would just be interesting i think it would be lively i think it would be great i think the the the, the views on it would be very high i don't know what the presidential debates are going to look like if donald trump is not present so this is rnc chairwoman ronald mcdaniel it would be a mistake for trump to skip the debate Republican National Committee Chair Ronna McDaniel said Wednesday that it would be a mistake for former President Trump to skip next month's primary debate. The RNC has not previously commented publicly on the prospect of Trump, the frontrunner in the Republican Party, not attending the first Republican debate. I think it's a mistake to not do the debates, but that's going to be up to him and his campaign, McDaniel told Fox News on Wednesday, adding that she has talked to him about joining the debate. McDaniel added that the missing the debate is just more of an opportunity for Joe Biden to continue to get his message out. Quote, you want to win the nomination, you got, you got to get in front of those primary voters. But for me, it's another part of it. This is an audience of 20 million people plus, she said. Why wouldn't we get in front of them before we go against Joe Biden? So I'll be, I'll be very honest with you guys at this point. And, and, and this is the poll. This is the last one I have for you guys. This is New York Times, and this is as of two days ago, I believe. I pulled this up two days ago. Uh, or this is like a two-day. Trump crushing DeSantis and GOP rivals. Times Siena post finds the twice-indicted former president leads across. I love that headline. The twice, like just so petty. The twice-indicted former president leads across nearly every category and region as primary voters wave off concerns about his escalating legal uh, uh, jeopardy. And actually, this poll is from today. Sorry. This was updated today at 7.05 a.m. Eastern time. So four o'clock for us Pacific timers. Mm -hmm. Republicans preferences for the look at this, man. And it's just not even close. I'm sorry. It's just not close. Whether you like the guy, hate the guy. Donald Trump at 54 percent. DeSantis at 17 percent. Pence at 3 percent. Scott, 3 percent. Haley, 3 percent. Ramaswamy, 2 percent. Chris Christie, 2 percent. It's not even close. And, and, and this is where I'm going to close it out. Whether you like the guy or you don't like the guy, the post, I mean, I'm just going to say this, and it's not an ego thing, and it's not that I'm trying to kiss butt or anything. Donald Trump is the Republican Party. He is bigger than the GOP and the RNC combined. Maybe not as far as networks and power. I think that the RNC and GOP can collude and, and bring heavy harm to Donald Trump if they really wanted to work it. I think they can hurt donors, et cetera. But just by reputation alone, Donald Trump is bigger. Eyes and ears, Donald Trump is way bigger than the GOP and the RNC. The only reason why he needs to play game here, the only reason why he needs to play ball is to keep those networks open. To ensure that the party is united, to ensure that these people back them, to ensure that the donors are there, et cetera, et cetera. But here's the reality. And somebody said this to me on uh, Instagram right before I went live. You know what Donald Trump should do? He should say, oh, no, I'll be at the debates. But how <laughs> imagine the message it would send. Imagine Donald Trump attending the debate, not to debate all the other candidates but just sit in the front row to listen to them. How boss would that be? Again, you can call him a narcissist. You can call him egotistic. I've got people, I posted this story earlier today. People are like, this is the, this is the problem that I have with him. He thinks he's just too good. And this is not, 
I'm sorry. Nobody comes close as far as crowd sizes. And again, this is not the general election. We're not talking about the mistakes that were made in 2020. We're not talking about basement Joe and how he won from his basement at 81 million votes, the most votes than any other president in history. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about Republicans on the Republican debate stage. I'm not talking about Donald Trump. Don't get it confused. It's not Donald Trump saying that he's not going to debate Joe Biden. That's not what I'm saying at all. I think he's looking forward to that, if anything. Should it happen again? I don't know. It might be Donald Trump against Gavin Newsom and Michelle Obama. I don't I don't know, right? We'll see. Only time will tell. But imagine the image, like the the, the mental gymnastics there. Just showing up and you're not even going to debate. You're like, oh, no, I'll be there. I've signed the pledge. Sure, whatever. I'll be there. And everyone's like, oh, yay. Like, he's coming. He's going to be there to debate, yada, yada, yada. And then he just sits in the front seat. He's like, oh, I said I'd be here. I didn't say I was going to debate anybody. And then he just sits there. And the entire time, it's just the lesser candidates debating each other. And anytime they say anything, the camera just zooms in on Trump's face. And he's just like, you know, like just making like faces or whatever. <laughs> At this point, you know what? I think it would be more comical. I think it'd be more entertainment to see that happen again I, I i hope that he debates maybe you know i i think it would be very interesting i would like to see i would like to see donald trump debate mike pence i would like to see donald trump debate nikki haley ramaswamy chris christie desantis i think we're all ready for that i think everyone's ready for the trump versus desantis but again realistically objectively he doesn't need to and even Ronda McDaniel acknowledges that there's no controlling the guy. He's going to do whatever he wants to do. And if he feels that he's got the Republican nomination by a landslide, then he's going to do it anyways, ir irregardless of what you and I think. Right, Nicole? Irregardless of what we think, irregardless of it, it's not going to matter. He's just going to do whatever he wants because that's who Trump is. And again, you got to think of it psychologically speaking the for the people that love him and maybe the people that are on the border would it be funnier or would it be more entertaining or would it be sending more of a message that he debates two percent polling chris christie or would it be funnier that he just sits in the crowd with everyone else and he's just like laser-eyed focused on these candidates. And anytime they say anything stupid or anything, whatever, or anytime they mention his thing, imagine the camera just pans in on Donald Trump and he's just like, like thumbs down in the camera, like, boo, this guy sucks. I don't know. Call it whatever you want. Call it narcissist. Call it egotistic. I get it. That's just who Donald Trump is. Like him or love him. That's who he is. All right, guys. Irregardless of all of this, irregardless you know, uh, irregardless um, of, of, of what you and I think he's going to do, what he's going to do, irregardless. So, all right, guys, I'm going to end it here. Uh, irregardless of time, I will see you guys tomorrow, Tuesday. I was about to say July 32nd, believe it or not. Uh, Tuesday, August 1st. I appreciate you guys tuning in. Make sure you hit that like button. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. Make sure you share. And I will see you guys then. Have a good rest of your Monday. God bless you guys, irregardless. God bless, guys. Irregardless.